Yeah, we're good, man. Don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that. Subscribe. But <laughs> new episode is here. Episode 515, Keandre of Hoop Intellect joins in to talk 2024 NBA draft. Who's in the mix for the number one pick? That and so much more. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. We are a part of the Prize Picks family. You might be asking, what is Prize Picks? Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you and the numbers, man. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including sharks and pros, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Prize Picks offers Apple Pay. For quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. And basketball season is here. So can't wait to share some of my picks with you all. Go to Prize Picks and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. That's right. You put in $100, you'll be matched up to $100. It's also a great way to support Combo's Court. Many of you ask, how can I support the show? This is a great way to do so. So go to Prospects and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. And now on to the show, we discuss the 2024 NBA Draft with Keandre of Hoop Intellect. Go subscribe to Hoop Intellect on YouTube for some really fantastic NBA draft videos intro music by luca beats let's get into it luca don't do it to him Andre, what is new, my man? How are things? I don't think I've spoken to you since summer league. So how is everything going, man? Man, things are going pretty good. You know, always staying up on all the scouting work and all that. And I'm um, just trying to get things ready for this new upcoming year and all that kind of stuff. It's really just been, been, been chilling. I've been sick a couple times, you know, post summer league and then a couple of weeks ago that's been annoying but other than that you know been pretty good has it been messing with the voice because the voice is important keandre we got we got to have that <laughs> voice going <laughs> it it was it kind of delayed the last mock draft that i put out because i didn't want to sound crazy on it because you know um it just kind of lasts a minute so i had to delay it about three three days or something like that but you know it, it's all a part of part you, you feel you feeling better yeah, I'm good. I'm good now. Yeah. Speaking of voice, how do you feel doing what you do on YouTube with the draft has helped you as a communicator 
outside of YouTube in life? Yeah, I feel like it's it's huge, you know, and even going back to like college, because I used to have to do a lot of reporting assignments. So I have to go talk to people and interview people about random things I did not care about. And that really, you know, helped me um, kind of, you know, get out of my comfort zone in a way in terms of like talking to people. Now, I'm still not trying to ask random people random things like I was doing at that point. But, you know, with that in the YouTube and then, um, you know, when you're doing a podcast and things like that, it can kind of take it to a new level just just with natural reps. So, yeah, that's all a big part of, um, you know, just kind of kind of growing um, in different ways. Yeah. Excellent video. Um, is this more fun for you that there's no generational talent or at least expected generational talent? Like there's a bunch of guys that could go number one. Is that more fun for you than like covering a Wemby when everybody knows who the number one guy is going to be? I think there's, you know, pluses and minuses to both. You know, obviously Wimby is a unique talent and I've been watching him and watching his kind of journey throughout last season was really cool. And you've got Scoot Henderson, the Thompson Twins, kind of the uniqueness of that class. Um, but then you've got this class where everything is kind of wide open to an extent. You know, we've got some guys that we kind of have our eye on towards the top, but I kind of have left the door open for anyone to like really emerge as that top guy or even throughout the, the entire draft, you know, second rounders, you know, late first rounders, just um, I think there is some kind of uh, beauty in that or just kind of fun in a class like that, as opposed to last year where we kind of knew even past the, you know, the Wimbies and Scoots like Grady Dick, Brandon Miller, we knew those guys were probably going to be in the mix. So this year, just having a little bit different of a perspective, I think we're going to get a lot of older guys kind of emerge throughout the season. Um, that should be fun, too. Yeah, how many guys do you feel like are legitimately in the mix for number one? We know it's real early, but legitimately in the mix for number one as of now. Right now, I would say somewhere around five, and I don't know that number to be exact. I'm actually going to look right now to just double check. I would say, you know, yeah, that feels about right. And I think there's a couple more you could even throw in the mix. I think there's guys like Ron Holland. Um, we've got Alex Saar who have kind of uh, emerged early and, in, in, you know, kind of separated themselves. They were already in the mix before, but just with the uh, fall invitational, then playing that way. Yeah. And then we've got, um, you know, the, the Intercontinental Cup that Ron Holland was playing in with the Ignite. And then obviously the NBL season has started um, in Australia for, for Saar. So, seen those guys i think isaiah collier is, is another guy that you could throw in the mix modest Buzelis, um you know a few others justin edwards that we'll, be, we'll see in the college season to see where they're at um but yeah there's a there's a good handful of guys i think will be in that in that mix i know you did a mock draft but on a big board who would be number one and to add on to that question who do you feel has the highest ceiling in this draft and is that one in the same yeah i that's a kind of a tough question i think that they're Somewhere in the same vein, you know, um, big board wise, I think I would still have Ron Holland um, number one just right now. I think SARS upside is, you know, we got to see a few things in terms of just like where the consistency goes in terms of the shot and stuff. But like his upside is looking um, like it could be the, the, the biggest in the entire class when you're looking at a guy seven foot who can move like that, you know, bring the ball up the floor from time to time, but the ground coverage on defense, the way he can impact the game there. And then um, also doing certain things where he's serving as a hub off dribble handoffs, faking that, and then going right into the three point shot, stretching the floor, that type of stuff. Um, 
is, you know, we look at the, the Evan Mobley's, Chet Holmgren's, Victor right. Wimbyama's not saying that he's going to be necessarily that caliber of player, but that's kind of the vein that you, we've seen in the last couple of drafts um, become successful in the league. So I like what he brings to the table a lot. So you go with Holland or Saw right now? On a big I'm going board. with Holland. I'm going okay. with Holland just probably to start the year. Um, that big board will probably come out towards the end of the month as we get close to the uh, start of the college season. But yeah, for now, I think it'll be Holland and Sar towards the top, and then you know everything else kind of. I'm still just just looking and and looking for different things. With Holland, it feels like he was a four transitioning to a three. Is that fair? And what do you feel like his ideal NBA position will be? Yeah, he definitely. Um, was or is uh kind of that guy and you know coming into the i as i say this we're really early in the year so like all of mm-hmm. this is subject to change still um right. but he was somebody who i was a little bit more concerned with in terms of like playing on the wing more and he's already kind of dispelled some of those concerns in terms of like being able to knock down a shot or you know get to something off the dribble and actually use that uh, athleticism functionally and getting downhill all the way to the bucket that type of stuff um, so I think that he's going to be a wing in the league. Um, I think that depending on where he goes physically, he's already, you know, NBA ready, in my opinion, in that aspect. But I think he could play minutes at the four, depending on, you know, the the context yeah. of the team, who's on the back line. But, um, yeah, he's he's kind of more wingish at this point. Yeah, I feel like the old three, maybe from like 10 years ago, is a four now pretty much, right? Like, it's yeah. almost like everything has shifted so much. With Sar, how much did you learn when you saw Perth versus the G League Ignite? And do you think he set the tone for himself to be on path for that number one pick? We talked big board um, just a second ago, but like in terms of a mock draft in your brain, do you think he, he did he really jump up your draft board and just watching him play perfect mix? It feels like of size, athleticism for the for a modern big. Yeah, he's always had a lot of flashes. Um, if anybody's followed OTE the last couple of years, like yeah. you could see the pieces there. It was just more about like, can he be consistent in terms of his motor? Will the physicality affect him as like a full time five? Will he be able to stretch the floor um at a high level? Just a lot of different pieces and um, you know, being a big in the modern game is like way more difficult than people kind of describe it as like the amount of responsibility that you have defensively and um the amount of impact that you can have in terms of you know playing both on the perimeter and you know scheme versatility in the pick and roll with the um emphasis on that in today's game like there's a lot of that goes into that and so just kind of grasping all those pieces is something that um you look for all bigs but definitely with sar and this and also you know as an aside just the structure of ote and we've kind of talked about that in you know different episodes before but seeing him in a different structure grown men like official like you just you weren't a hundred percent sure so seeing him in that environment and seeing him in the nbl so far um he looks good you know still being a 18 year old um relatively young guy for his class uh he's kind of hit on some of those things and for me, he was in the like tennis range on the way too early board, which I don't put too much stock into like thinking about that as like a strong take at that point. It's just kind of more of how I how I see things or feel things at the beginning. Um, but he's definitely moved up to, you know, that top two, top three sort of range from from being there. Yeah, we mentioned the G League Ignite game versus Perth. Would you deem the G League Ignite as a success 
so far from when they started? And what are you excited about the G League Ignite this upcoming season? Because I think they can actually be a little bit more competitive. Yeah, you know, I think that they're definitely a success. I think that there is the possibility where, especially this year, I think we're going to see, you know, maybe the NBA adds another team to kind of give that um, developmental, those developmental opportunities in a certain role to more players at a time Mm -hmm. because they have about eight guys this year. A few of them kind of overlap in terms of skill set so that'll be interesting to see how they handle that but i think it's definitely a a really good a developmental path for players just being able to go up against real you know borderline nba right. players and right. um guys who will contribute in the league at different parts of the year or even and, the next and border year. and borderline nba players are just so much better than they used to be right right yeah. it's it's and also just being able to learn the NBA game. You've got, you know, also structurally what they like teach the guys and, you know, the situations that they, they put them in and practice and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think it's a, a, a great opportunity for these players. And then this year we're going to be able to see kind of how many at a time can they can handle and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, but you go back from the Jalen Greens and Jonathan Kamingas to Jaden Hardy, Dyson Daniels, everybody right. in between. Like we've seen a good amount of success in terms of uh, draft stock and holding it, and also being able to be successful at the next level. All those guys are super young, so it's too early to like stamp it completely as like, okay, this is the place that you go and you just take off. But for those top guys, they've they've mostly been able to um, get where they wanted to go. What's your thoughts on Buzelis? Because I can't, like, he kind of looks like a unicorn in a way, but then he's not as tall. Also, I'm like, I feel like there's not a lot of transparency with the heights anymore. Like, I really don't know how tall Ron Holland is, to be honest. I'm not really sure how tall Buzelis is. So can you, like, speak to that? Do you know how tall these guys are, first of all? And second of all, what do you think about Buzelis's game moving forward? Yeah, so they were listed in a lot of places at... I think Holland was at six eight, and then okay. Buzelis was anywhere from like six ten, six eleven. Right. And then the ignite during the fall invitational, they put out their own. I went to their website, and they had Ron Holland listed at six six. They had uh, Modest Buzelis listed at six eight. Which, just from the eye test, I haven't been able to see them in person. So, um, and also like going off of their measurements would be the the smart thing to do, unless there was some type of typo. Um, but just from the eye test, looking at Buzelis with other six listed people, he looks like he looks like five inches taller than Holland to me when I watch him play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing. I guess we just kind of have to see where that goes, especially you know down the road to the combine months um, in advance. But yeah, for him specifically, his game, um, I think there's a. He's a really interesting player because I think he has one of the higher ceilings in the entire class, but also there's certain things that he's going to have to hit on as a creator and just being able to handle, um, you know, the strength and the physicality aspect. And also I think shooting the ball is going to be huge for him. Just giving him a, a, a well, like a, yeah, okay. an easy, an easy niche for um, success at the next level. And then everything else kind of developing from there. But um yeah, you know, a, a dude that size who can dribble, pass, right. shoot, um, and also has shown improvement on the defensive 
um, side of the ball, at least in those two games that we've seen. And I think um, that should continue at least to an extent. Like he's he's going to have his bumps in the road along the way. But um, and also physically, he's already making progress now. For people who may not have watched him before, you'll be like, okay, that dude's pretty skinny still. But, like, you go back six months, eight months ago, like, he's made, you know, some impressive uh, progress already there. So I think he's a guy who's definitely going to be in that mix. Um, Again, I think the people who are maybe a little bit lower on him have more concerns about his creation. I think those are all valid. Um, Just being able to consistently get to the bucket or, um, you know, create space and create good looks. On the perimeter, I think that's something that he's going to have to show and prove, um, especially at the G League level. But I think he's got the pieces to at least, you know, be one of those guys. Yeah, I think the G League is the right move for him because he's a, such a skillful player that I think it'll show more at the pro level that college level is just so choppy, you know. Uh, he's like a really interesting player. Do you think he'll get enough reps on ball to prove that he can be that guy? I think he will. I think the the way that their offense is ran, like they're they they're pretty equal opportunity when you watch them, just kind of running things through Mika, um, using him as a hub, and then they've got a lot of toss back actions, and um, you know they kind of they have a good amount of movement and getting everybody involved and into spots where they're not having to just like isolate or you know fully run pick and rolls themselves unless you're like Scoot or or whatever. So. I like the kind of structure that they have, and I think that he's going to be able to have reps that he can grow within and that kind of suit where his game is at now, and then he'll be able to to kind of prove where where he's at from here. Yeah, we've talked about before, like, it's so hard for the six-foot, six-foot-one player to um really, like, solidify himself at the NBA at any level, from the even from the role player to star level. With Elliot Cadeau, how high do you think he could go in this draft, and what does he have to prove this season? Elliot Cadeau is, if anybody who's, who has watched him, I know this is going to be like super early, so a lot of people aren't going to be, you know, real familiar with him, but you will see soon enough as UNC gets to play him. But, you know, he's one of the, the most creative players in this entire class. Just a guy who's, you know, really savvy in terms of passing and, and passing guys open and, you know, making plays. There's a certain it factor that some certain players have in terms of creativity. He's got that in terms of the, you know, same hand, same foot finishes. You can tell that he, you know, has played the game, works on his game in a lot of different settings. So, um, but yeah, just a guard who is able to make plays from a variety of spots on the floor um, is going to be a a different look for them uh, in terms of UNC's backcourt having Caleb Love the last couple of years. Um, he's gonna. He's a very high level facilitator. He can get his own shot as well. I think for him, it, it's gonna be. He's also really tough on the defensive end. He's got you know um, high effort as as well. So for him, it's just gonna be proving himself as a shooter. How dynamic can he be? How where does he finish at the basket? Uh, he is a pretty underrated athlete. I think. Yeah, I totally opinion. agree. Like on the low, he has like video game bounce for how for yeah. how tall he is. He gets up. Yeah, so it's just going to be like all the the other other and extra elements to go along with that. Just um, as a shooter, uh, how well he holds up defensively. And then, you know, because like the threshold for those guys is so much higher. Like mm-hmm. Trey Young, he, the man averaged 30 and 10 in college and was what, the fifth pick, I think, um, with the trade with, with Luka. Uh, right, so right. like <laughs> that is 
that's the level that you have to be at to like get in those kind of conversations at that size. So for me, I think that he's going to come into the year as a top 20 guy. Um, for me, just because it's so difficult to gauge where he's where he's going to go. I know, you know, ESPN did their recent mock draft. He wasn't even on there. So um, there's going to be a little bit of uh, varying uh, opinions about him. But I'm, from what I've seen, his skill set and his talent, um, I'm willing to bet on that, at least to the, the beginning of the year. What do you think DJ Wagner's ideal role in the NBA is? Because we talked about this before. Like when you're a bucket getter, usually they're a star six man or you're playing overseas now he's so talented mm-hmm. he won't be overseas so where do you see him fitting in the nba in terms of role yeah i think that he's he's one of the he's a kind of a difficult player at least to gauge early because you see the talent you see the scoring talent and it's yeah. not only just like chucking shots from the perimeter he's able to get to the basket at a high rate put pressure mm-hmm. on the defense in that way um super quick and then, you know, also the perimeter stuff, being able to be a shot maker from out there. So I think that he's he's got bucket getter written all over him. It's right. just like, where can we go with the passing, the playmaking? Um, like, like to, how good could his weaknesses be over time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How, yeah. how can we, you know, become a, a better decision maker? Yeah. Um, get tunnel vision just a little bit less, play within the flow of things. And also, where can we go as a shooter? Because that's going to be key for him. Like he's been able to knock down shots from there, but it's got to be way more consistent, higher percentage. That's going to be a, another key for him. And then um, just playing off of guys like Justin Edwards, Rob Dillingham, um, you know, the rest of that Kentucky crew over there this year. So I think that it's kind of a wait and see thing with him. Like, can he take on those point guard or combo guard responsibilities, run your offense for um, portions of the game? I think that's where there's going to be a disconnect in terms of like people thinking that he's a top 10 pick and those who are like, maybe he's more of a late first round guy. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the gist of where he's at coming into the year. You know, way back, we talked about Brandon Miller as a guy who could jump up the boards because he was like in the late teens back then. And we see how high he went. Is there anybody like that for this year that you're looking at that? Maybe he's not getting enough buzz right now. Yeah, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure, like what the consensus is right now. I need to, like, go look at that ESPN mock. You've been focused, man. You've been been focused on your thing. Yeah. You know, I tried to, like give my own opinions at least in the beginning right. and then I'll go look and see what like the the more national consensus is that, is that is, but... because you is that because you feel it could have influence on your opinions like you don't even you block that out yeah I feel like earlier on like it kind of gives you sort of an anchoring bias where you like mm. you feel like okay this guy's 14th so it's like I need to rank him 10th or whatever or you know in that general range and it's like well if I don't necessarily see that in him then maybe he'll be 22nd or you know do you, do, you, do you ever you take that approach and do you ever after doing it your way look and just be like so surprised at certain players and where they're ranked yeah and some yeah. other times i'm like okay we're all kind of on the same page right right, um, right. so that's kind of a it just kind of happens that way i think one guy i would say that could go up boards is like bobby clintman mm-hmm. um just kind of an easy player to see the appeal in six eight can shoot the three, can make plays off a live dribble, has the potential to make an impact defensively. He's got to be a little bit more consistent and uh, aware, especially in help. But, like, he's got the tools to be one of those guys who's a compliment um, for most teams in the league, I think could be a very easy top 20 pick. Um, so him playing in the NBL this year, though, I think that's a guy who could quickly rise up and just be a sort of a mainstay. 
I think another guy I would say is probably Jacoby Walter. I feel like he has a decent amount of buzz right now. I mean, all the draft guys know who he is and, and everything, but um, at Baylor, you know, 6'5", 6'4", off guard or smaller wing who's can knock down threes. Um, he can defend at a super high level and also create uh, to an extent in a lot of different fashions and um, get a bucket that way. So like, that sort of three and D with a little more type of archetype. He's got that um, in both sides of that, that coin three and defense. Um, and I think, you know, playing with first Scott drew this year, he's going to be a guy who should pretty should emerge pretty early and, and be um, someone I think could even, you know, knock on the door to top five, top seven pick if, if things go his way. Yeah. You've been doing this a while now. Do you feel like you get even, a deeper insight on some of their players as they reach that sixth year, fifth year in the NBA, where you have a different insight because you've seen them from the beginning. It's almost like, I'm not saying they're your kids, but it's like watching your kids grow up. Yeah. Like um, you cut out just a little bit. So I, I feel like I got most of that. Just like you talking about perspective of. Yeah. Because not every, yeah, because you're looking at high school tape and a lot of people, I mean, there's some people that just wait till they get to the NBA, unless it's like a Zion or, you know, so do you feel like your perspective is a little bit, you know, you have more insight because of that? Yeah. Like, like like sometimes, like sometimes a player will go to a new situation and you, and you could go, Oh, this might pop here because I've seen them do it in the past. Yeah, I think just having that perspective and being able to have seen them in as many situations as possible is always good, even leading up to the draft. And then obviously once they get into the NBA and you see what kind of system or um, situation that they're in and then, you know, move on to the next and then boom, somebody pops. And it's like, well, yeah, we've seen him kind of operate as that guy uh, um, in the past. He just didn't have that opportunity or maybe he wasn't ready yet. So um, you can kind of see it coming a little bit uh, more, but yeah, you know, just kind of having those reference points. And obviously I follow both college and the NBA a lot throughout the season. So just right. um, being able to to know all of those um, guys, both past and, and uh, present and in the future uh, gives you a little bit different perspective than even I had in like before I started doing this for real, um, you know, just as more of a NBA fan. Yeah, I asked you that to ask you this, the curious case of Cam Reddish. So do you feel it falls more on Cam or it falls more on the situations he's been a part of? When he was going into the Knicks situation, I knew that wasn't going to be good. Like, he's not a Tibbs-type player. He's not like a go-hard-type player. Now, do you feel with his newest situations he could pop and do you feel the shortcomings so far of his NBA career have been more on him? or more on the situation he's been in? It's been weird because as soon as they, as Atlanta kind of made that, that move to let's be good now, let's go get Bogdanovich, um, it kind of changed his timeline in terms of like, okay, now you have to be a winning player. Now you kind of need to slide into this 3 and D role that maybe you've never really played before or you think that you are better than at this point, mm -hmm. not 19, 20 years old, being the man, you know, you hear what Anthony Edwards was talking about him, like when he was in high school. Um, so right. going from that quickly into something else was, I, I would assume a little bit of a, a shock or a learning curve for him. And then, you know, bouncing around from there, moving from Atlanta, and then now being in 
Um, you know, you talked about New York now being in, was he in Portland? Am I, was he in Portland at some point? I don't know why I just yeah, is this, is thought this his, that. Is this his fourth team? I, I'm thinking, I feel like I'm forgetting somewhere. Um, but yeah, you know, being in, been, he was on Portland. Okay. I, I thought I was tripping for a second, but yeah, you know, now being in LA, I think that at this point, he's kind of, his role is out there for him to go get as a, you know, big time wing defender and then come in and knock down shots, attack a closeout, you know, do things within that role. Um, so that's kind of where he's going to have to get his money at at this point. I think that um, for him, that window to be uh, the guy that we, you know, he had the potential to be coming out of high school and then into Duke, that window for mistakes wasn't necessarily there. So he kind of has had to, um, you know, pivot and shift his, his kind of his game from there. So, uh, and also just for him, like, it's always frustrating because there's a lot of different things, not just like the role, but like in his game, within his game that you're like, okay, you can, you're better than this. You know, we, we've seen it, we've seen the flashes, but I think just for him, it's like, you just got to make shots, you know, like at a certain, like at Duke, he didn't make shots. You know, everybody would talk about the potential and all that. Like he shot like 30 percent from three like the but everybody but stuff. everybody just believed in it because like the smoothness and the effortlessness right with his shot and we've seen it we saw it at the high school level it's, you know going to yeah. college a little bit different nba yeah. hasn't made shots you know so those guys don't get those opportunities um unless you know the efficiency is there and all that and you get moved off you mentioned his flashes. He actually like showed some pretty good flashes in Atlanta in the playoffs. Like he was sliding his feet. Like he kind of like his game is effortless mm-hmm. on both sides, but like he can really lock in defensively and that could help the Lakers. As long as he can make shots and slide those puppies. Like he's a good defender when he tries. Yeah. The defense, like he can be, he can be one of those guys in the league and like super value for them, valuable for them. And I think he fits there's a lot of there's a lot of names a lot of players on that team i think the lakers are one of the deeper rosters in the league which is funny considering where they were at the beginning of last year so he's gonna have to show improve and kind of earn earn his keep there but like the the road is there for him to play this year play well on a winning team that makes a, a deep playoff run and then get paid you know for those services which are in a pretty highly valuable archetype in the league right now so before you get out of here, let's have some fun. Who are your top five teams real quick? I didn't actually put too much thought into it, but off the top of my head, it would be Denver, Bucks, Lakers, Celtics, Suns. Denver, Bucks. Yeah, that's the, that's my five as well. Okay. I th- we agree. Not necessarily I, in I that do, order, I do, but... I do think that, yeah, I do think the Celtics are like, I don't know, I'm just not a believer. Like, I, I have them in my top five, but... I don't believe in them as much as everybody else does. Yeah, that's interesting. I've seen you be talking about this the last couple of days. I th- <laughs> I believe in them, you know, quite a bit. I think more, that more they, than the, more than the Bucks. At this point, yes. But here's why: Tell me it's why. because of Chris Middleton. So, Chris Middleton is still dealing with injuries. He's not necessarily going to be Chris Middleton that we've known from the last couple of years. The 50, 40, 90 guy, the twenty five and five. That's the piece that pushes Milwaukee over the edge to me because that's somebody who we've seen give you 40 on a big stage yeah, and on yeah, that yeah. wing. 
you're, I don't want to cut you off. You're absolutely yeah. right. Here's the thing though. When I do these kinds of things, I just like to look at everybody in full health because then it gets so difficult. Like we could go Porzingis um, injury history. You know, we could go look Lakers, AD and LeBron are old. Then they're probably out the top five. If those two aren't playing, mm-hmm. you know, but I do totally agree with you. Like, let's say, if let's say everybody healthy. Would, would that yeah. change your perspective with the Celtics and Bucks or no? You still, you just still like, like, it's fair. Like you just still think the Celtics are better. I think that they're, I honestly think they're neck and neck. I think I would, yeah. I, the thing I like about the Celtics is the kind of uh, versatility that they have mm. as a team. Like you've got Horford, as long as he continues to play at that level, Porzingis, just the different things that you can throw at a team, the backcourt of Drew Holiday and Derek White defensively is tremendous at his best. And you've got obviously got Jalen and, and Tatum who um, on any given night can can do what they can do. So I like their team. But then you also go to Milwaukee and it's just Damon Giannis. Like that's we can talk about Brooke Lopez and what the value he brings or, you know, the some of the other supporting pieces on the team. But like Damian Lillard plays the way that he played last year. 100%. Giannis plays like the top two player in the, in the league. Like that's going to be very difficult to deal with for anybody forget like the Celtics nuggets, whoever. Um, yeah. So I think it's just going to come down to matchups, health and and wherever they're at throughout the playoffs. Honestly, it's interesting. You mentioned that with David Giannis, because that's exactly what I was going to get to. Like if I'm taking like the top four from that series or top five from that series, I'm, ta- I'm taking Giannis and Dame over Tatum in the playoffs. And that's another thing. Like to me, they just got the two best players in the, in the series. Yeah. I think, I think Tatum can be that guy, but he's going to need to be we, that guy. We, we, we can't do exactly. this forever, though, you know? <laughs> right. He's He he can be that guy. If he is that guy in, in that kind of conversation, then right. they have the 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 chance to win it. But also, Dame is going against Derek White and Drew Holiday on that other end. Um, obviously, there's more to the reason. Uh, I know people br- always bring up, like, the Drew Holiday-Dame series where, you know, oh, yeah, Drew, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dame New struggled. New Orleans. You've got, yeah, you've got AD yeah, on yeah. the backside. S- defensively, scheme-wise, yeah. it's a whole lot different for Drew. This is also six yeah. years ago where he moved a little bit different. Both of them did, but he, him especially. But usually usually the lateral stuff goes a little bit before the offense, right? So, like, if they both yeah. age, it's probably advantage Dame. <laughs> yeah, I just think that Drew fits really well. You, we watch what Marcus Smart brings to the table. Um, I think Drew is a much better version of that offensively. He's a 40-plus percent catch-and-shoot guy from three over the last two seasons. Um, he's somebody who can can act as a secondary ball handler but won't have the sort of responsibilities he might have had in Milwaukee um, that kind of led to some really rough nights uh, in terms of the shooting uh, at, at times because he needed to make plays for them so so badly. Um, but, yeah, I just think that they have what it takes to, to at least compete at that level. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, Drew's going to help any NBA team that he's on. Like I was saying back in the New Orleans days, he's the most underrated player in the NBA. He's obviously surpassed that now because of mm-hmm. winning the championship. I'm high on, I'm like higher on Perzingis than most. So like I'm higher on Jalen Brown than most. It's just like, it just comes down to like, can, as yeah. you said, like can Tatum take him over the top. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, it's almost like, if you're looking at it from a very simple point of view, like you don't even know much about basketball. Your take is like, can Tatum go against, Damon Giannis, you know, and it's like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm yeah, not. that's going to that's going to be the thing to watch, too, with Milwaukee's wings. Will they have enough wings to stop those guys 
what kind of load is going to be placed on Giannis guarding a Tatum and a Brown, um, as opposed to, you know, being a little bit more of a rover, uh, a roamer in, you know, wreaking havoc that way with how they usually do as Brooke is in that drop defense. So it's a lot of things. I'm excited for this season, especially with those two teams in the East. And uh, hopefully we get them in the Eastern Conference Finals. For the greatest YouTube draft channel, you have to support my guy, Keandre. Where can we find you, man? Yeah, you can always find me on YouTube, Hoop Intellect. I'm on Twitter, uh, Hoop Intellect. Also, you know, do my thing occasionally uh, on Instagram and we'll hopefully be doing a little bit more like behind the scenes stuff at some of these games uh, this upcoming season and at the college level. So, yeah, you can find me over there. A lot of new content dropping um, throughout these next several months. Andre, thanks for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, my guy. Anytime. There it was. Episode 515 is in the books. Thank you to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Big shouts to Keandre for joining in. Go subscribe to Hoop Intellect on YouTube for NBA draft content. And shout to Prize Picks, man. Go to Prize Picks and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $1. Hundred dollars. It's also a great way to support Combo's Court. So go to Prize Picks and use code Combo for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that, and be on the lookout for episode five one six Combo.